I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to this. It's the Rugby Dungeon back after Christmas. Uh, I've not done one of these for about four weeks, I think, but we have a very special one for you today. Thank you for following us on Twitter. Thank you for leaving iTunes reviews. They are massively appreciated. Just thank you for all of your interaction and continuing to support the show the ways that you do. Anyway, enough of that nonsense. Here is this week's interview. Hope you enjoy it. Right, well, I'm very happy to be joined by a guy who... If you, if I interviewed him a few weeks ago, I might need to explain who he is. But I think he's a name on every England fan's lips now. It's Don Ormond. How are you, mate? I'm good yourself. Thanks for having me on the show. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Let's start with the thing everyone's been asking you about. England, what do you know? And then we can move on to some interesting things. Um, I could pretty much say what Eddie says in the press is pretty much the feedback that I get. Um, and, you know, what, what I think of it is, I, I mean, you can't complain when he's... he's He's got the he's got a brilliant track record with the team, and you have to kind of back the national coach mm. to know what he's doing. So you know, I I, keep, I do say this quite a lot: is I'm I've just got to make sure that I keep focusing on on my role in Exeter, and whatever else comes is is, is amazing. But you know, I can't I can't be too distracted by it. Yeah, as hard as it is, you're absolutely right. It's just one of those control your controllables type situation. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I think. Because if I, I think if I focus on the wrong thing, you know, frustration levels may build uh, and distract me a bit. But, you know, if I, if I keep on doing what I'm doing, then, you know, I can only hope that good things come. Completely agree. Um, so, anyway, what have you been up to today and what's the vibe down in Exeter? That's oh, a pretty good vibe. You know, obviously, we're getting ready for a massive game this weekend. Um, so, you know, our, tra- our training our training was, was, was a really good session today. Um, you know, we, we treat this like a... A knockout game essentially because you know the, the tables I think with the way it all works out is we have to try and get as many points as possible to then to just stand a chance of making it through the quarters mm. yeah I do you know what I think my my favorite final from the teams that could poss- possibly qualify would be you guys having a trilogy against Leinster yeah I know I agree um I think many people would agree to that because uh, of you know, I mean, they did really well coming down here, and um, it was a really good experience going up there and playing them there. But I think a, a third, having a third go at it would be, would, like you said, it would be a really exciting final because I think you'd have two really good sides, and it wouldn't be about you know them being a better side or us being a better side. It would just literally be about two great, great games or, or one great game of rugby with two good teams in it, and and the result is would speak for itself, I suppose. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it seems to me, I, I say this on my other podcast all the time, Exeter seems to be constantly learning. So you might beat them by, I don't know, 50 points one year, and then it'll be 30 points, and then 20 points, and 10, and then by the end of it, they'll 
they'll be winning the final. Yeah, I definitely agree with that statement. Um, if you look at uh, Exeter's rise from the championship, um, that fits right in there. And um, yeah, we, we, the years I've been there, every year has been a new year where we've had to learn from the previous year. Um, so, you know, we made the semi-final and the final, and lost in the final. Then we made the semi and the final, uh, and won it last year. And then this year, you know, it's it's a whole new year where not no one that's involved in the setups has been in it. So I think all the way up from the coaches down to the players down to the support staff and even the, the guys running the business behind you know like SW comms and that are all in in new territory and you know I think if we like you say we seem to be learning and that is one thing that we make sure we all do is, is learning from our mistakes and you know, I think that'll make sure that we, we, we keep going to the top. Is there a certain nervousness which comes with playing in Europe because I, I appreciate you've got to the quarters before but it is sort of uncharted territory for uh, for the Chiefs, yeah, definitely. I think it's not it's not so much a nervousness. Maybe in the past year or two, on my first year, I think we qualified for Heineken Cup, and that was a massive year for the club. Um, so there was definitely an air of nervousness. I think this year it's 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 a, it is much the same, but it's not nervousness. It's just about getting used to playing uh, big big sides in an environment that no one's really had a lot of experience in. If that makes sense, so. It's about learning from if we go up then and we, you know, like Montpellier, we got the win. Mm. But we'd approach that in the same way that we went up to Leinster. Um, and even though we didn't get the win, we definitely learned from it. Um, and I think those are things, kind of, it's kind of money in the bank. So even though we lost, you know, I think we came away with a lot of positives from the game. Um, I think that's how we've approached all our, our European games. And, you know, I think eventually we're going to get to the stage where, you know, there's not an air of nervousness or... Um, of reaching new beginnings kind of thing where it's just something that you know we'll be performing the same way we do in the Prem. Yeah, why do you think Exeter dealt with Montpellier who is such a more physical team than almost anyone else that you'll see yet struggle so much against Leinster? Um, uh, to be able to put it down to one thing would be quite hard but you know there, the, all the games you've played in the European Cup have been big emotional performances. If you look, I mean they're all top sides that we're playing so you know, I think it's just about exceeding expectations. You know, when we did, we we had we beat Montpellier away. I think it was their first game they'd lost in what nineteen game consecutive yeah. games. Yeah, and it's an incredible game with too. like a points. Yeah, and we didn't even realize that. And with twenty four points difference is what they usually be winning at home. Um, so I just, I we can't really put it down to one thing. Maybe say Leinster were just they were really on it, and they were maybe up for it more than we were at the home game, and and especially in the first half. Um, and then, you know, the kind of side they are and the way they coach, they'd, they'd be really clinical and leave it up to moments in the game rather than having to create, you know, some miracle thing where they just they, they build in the correct way. And, you know, it's, it's a good thing to learn from. you're playing a team like Leinster and you're on the field, is there ever a time when you think, crikey, uh, we might be in for a long old day today, say 10 minutes in or 20 minutes in? Uh, no, I think we, we, we enjoy it when the games are hard. You know, I think Montpellier was the same way. We all knew it was going to be a hard game, but we kind of we kind of stuck at it a little bit longer than they did, and ended up getting the the rubber, the green, especially away at, at them. And, and I suppose if you look at the home game too, whereas Leinster, I think we're a bit more um, uh, well. I don't want to say well coached because they're both very well coached teams. Yeah. But, you know, they stuck to what they did quite well, and they're very similar to us in that. And that's why I mean the result wasn't it was a fair result, um, but it could have kind of gone either way because of the way both teams were playing. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. I mean, not to put words in words in your mouth as such, but 
it's almost like Montpellier rely on individual performances, whereas Leinster are far more fluid. They're far more fluid um, as a team. Yeah, and I think that you kind of know it in your build-up too, and it, it, it definitely um, it helps with your approach and the preparation of the game. And you know, even though Nadolo had some really good tries against us in, you know, at, at their home, um, you know, we we kind of managed to quash those individual moments of brilliance yeah. at, in the home game, and you could see the difference in the result. Uh, yeah. scoreline more. Now, I know you're busy doing what you're doing on the field, but how exciting was the Woodburn-Nadolo matchup? Yeah, you know, two, you, you probably say two very completely different players, but both as just as effective for their team. Um, and, you know, I thought it was brilliant to see how, how it worked out. You know, Woody is a, a lot smaller than, than <laughs> Nemanja Nadolo was, but, you know, you didn't really notice the difference. And, you know, Woody, I think, showed some very um, high-class like, moments in the game that you know, his two tries to speak of were amazing, weren't they? Oh, he, uh, he's just come on leaps and bounds. I mean, he was good at Bath. You know, he was coming on, uh, you know, as a, uh, as a replacement, or he might not have quite been first choice. Since he's been to Exeter, he's just, he's, he's like a brand new player. Yeah, I think that's the case with a lot of guys that come here, you know, and that's credit to obviously the way the coaches, the coaching is set up where, you know, they kind of instill the confidence in the player that perhaps they don't get it in any other place. You know, Ollie got some good opportunities to play, to get some starting, um, like game time when Nolsey was away at England and, you know, playing with, and he just, yeah, like you say, he really showed his class. And I think it's, it's got a lot to do with how the coaching is set up. And, you know, they, they really try and make players confident rather than try and beat them down kind of thing or worried about what their weaknesses are rather than focusing on their strengths. Now, I'm probably going to embarrass myself a little bit here by getting the information wrong, <laughs> but... Is it Exeter that you work in groups to analyse each other's games, like small groups of four or something? Um, uh, not not necessarily each other's games. It's no, not really. Like you kind of work. Um, you know, you you look through your game and you can chat to the coaches or you can chat to other guys that are in similar positions. But there isn't like a, a Monday meeting sit down where four of you chat chat each other about each other's games. No. Oh right, well I'll quickly mark that and uh, I'll uh, I'll edit it out of the podcast. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> so um, on on the balance of things, Exeter, then like how much are you guys stood, like trying to work out what you're going to do next game, rather than working out how to stop the opposition, if if, if that makes sense. How much of your study is yeah. about you guys other than the opposition? Well, you know, I think that that's a very good question. Um, but obviously, that we have a certain way of playing, and we a lot of our preparation is to. It's just about making sure that we we know what we're doing and our approach and the focus is on us. But it is obviously in every every team environment you have to worry or not worry. You have to prepare yourself for what the opposition brings so that you're not surprised on the day. Mm. Um, so you know different teams if they're similar to us will probably have less preparation. If they have moves that are, are really off the cuff or less structure, you know you kind of go through those and make sure you're aware of what causes them to be like that or what triggers they use. But you know, apart from that, you know, there's a massive focus on on making sure that we're the ones that are right in our game. Yeah, I, you know, and and you can definitely tell watching Exeter there is there is a certain way you play and there's a certain plan and it comes out week uh, week after week. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you can see, I mean, the way we stick to we stick to what we do, and even in the in like dying minutes of like the second half, we'll still be doing what we've done in the first few minutes. Um, and you know that's something that we really try and focus on. Yeah, it's a, it's a very strange thing actually that one of the most exciting parts of watching Exeter 
is when you do the most boring things. Like when you're in that like, five meter zone and you've got that relentless pick and drive, it should be boring. It's actually uh, exhilarating. I think it. I think it's gotten to the stage where you know, like you said, it should be boring. But because we're so successful at it, I think it's got quite a bit of hype because people, you know, everyone wants to see when you're at the top. Everyone wants to see you fall down. So I think it's quite exciting when the team manages to put in good sets of defence and keeping out. Um, pretty much, I think what Leinster managed to do against us, and you know, they really took. And I think yeah. those moments are are quite exciting. Um, and you know, even when we score, it's kind of like okay, well, it's, it's well worked. Um, yeah. So like you say, I mean, it, it is very exhilarating watching it. Yeah, now just changing tact completely. Um, now you're you're from Zimbabwe, yes? Yes. Okay, so you were born where? Is in the uh, in the capital? Yeah, in Harare. So tell tell me about your background then. Are, are you uh, are, are both your parents uh, uh, Zimbabwean Zimbabwean nationals? So my dad is a Zimbabwean, and my mom was born in. Uh, or lived in Harwick, in just outside Peter Marisburg in South Africa, um, and then I think he went over to South Africa and they met there and then went back to Zim. Ah, uh, so how old were you when you moved from Zimbabwe then? Um, twelve, turning thirteen. Got you. So the majority of your rugby was obviously uh, played in South Africa. Uh, yeah. So you know, I mean, I've, there was a lot of lessons and stuff I learned in Zim with my junior rugby and some really good coaches that helped me. But the majority of my playing time in terms of years in playing was obviously at high school and at Marisburg College in South Africa and then at the University of Cape Town. Uh, are you still still in touch with many people back in Zimbabwe? Um, surprisingly, yes. Uh, it just happens to be the way. I mean, you know, Zimbabwe's are very proud of where they come from. So the more people you can get in touch with, the, the better. And I've got a lot of people that I went to junior school with that I'm in touch with. You know, even my grade three coach so really? pretty much my my first two years of playing rugby and she coached me for most of my junior school career um i'll see her whenever we go up to the leicester games and you know and like it's something like it's a very good relationship that we keep going that's really nice and i'm sure there's other things to talk about when you get in contact with yours and bobby and friends but what is the rugby scene like out there at the moment do, do you know there's there's a lot of talent and it's unfortunate that there isn't there aren't better systems in place that that can ensure that the talent stays there. But, you know, I think they're just as proud of, you know, if you speak to Zimbabwe, they'll be just as proud of, of how successful guys are being around the world and representing Zimbabwe in what they do than if they were actually in Zimbabwe representing them. Yeah. Well, that I means... mean, there's a Zimbabwe back row, row that's just won the premiership. <laughs> yeah. And then there's David Pocock, who's oh, the, arguably one of the world's best least forwards too. So. Absolutely. Well, I've always had the idea of um, setting up, like as as Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe based barbarians uncapped, so everyone can go about getting their caps and making their living el- um, elsewhere. But I think it'd be an attractive yeah. an attractive pro- proposition. Yeah, I think there's there's I think there's been a few um, journalists that have put a team together, and it's quite fascinating to see what team. I mean, I think we struggle in one or two positions, um, and they're thrown in some like retired players but yeah, there'd be plenty of youngsters that could fill in that position too I, can't, I mean the forward pack that I've seen them put together is pretty decent well, what's the rugby situation there like at the moment is there still much being played oh, I, to be honest if I gave you a proper answer I, would be spe- I wouldn't be speaking from any like facts or something that I know mm. but I, there, there, is, there is rugby being played you know there's, there's rugby when I was there was, was played by everyone by most people 
and I think it still is today. There's some big like Zim rugby schools that pride themselves on how good they are. Um, from the national side, uh, from the national team's point of view, I think there's they do have a team and they have been trying that playing qualifying matches. I think for the last World Cup they nearly qualified, but they they lost in the last match. So there, there is you know rugby structures going on there. Yeah, well, uh, you just talked about big rugby playing schools there. Tell me a little bit about the school that you went to, because when I was researching you, uh, it seems like you went to, um, you know, the South African equivalent of um, uh, Harrow or uh, Sebba. <laughs> I wouldn't know what those two teams were, to be honest. But um, yeah, in South, in South Africa, there's a few, re- like, there's obviously a few regions or provinces, or as you'd call them, yeah, probably counties that have big schools. Mm. Um, and then the one we were in, you know, we had quite a fierce competition, but we'd probably, it is a very traditionally very strong rugby school that would, you'd, you'd hope would be in the top 10. It's, it's gets, it gets a bit more diluted now because there's a, there's a big talent pool in the, in the high schools. But you know, when, when I was there, it was, it was definitely one of the schools that when you go there, you can speak to anyone from the different provinces and like, Oh, it's a good rugby school. Yeah. So yeah, they've got, they've got a good reputation. Well, um, is that the same school Kevin Peterson went to? Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, any good at rugby? Ooh, Kevin Peterson? <laughs> uh, he was way before my time, so I wouldn't be able to say that. I think he was pretty much focused on his cricket, and you could see why. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so was uh, were you playing rugby there with anyone else that made it in, into the pro ranks? Um, no, not in, not in my year. Mm. Um, there's guys that play... Uh, in the provincial region, there's one or two guys that play in the provincial um, teams back in South Africa. But, you know, there's there's a few guys that were just a bit after me. So Jesse Creel, you know, oh, yeah. the same school. He's the, he's the Springbok centre. He, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's pretty good. Um, yeah, so he's probably the highest achieving current, well, younger generation our old boy that's that's playing rugby. Um, you know, back in there's like Joel Stransky, the fly off for South Africa, Butch James, Peter Grant. Wow, a lot of fly, a lot of the fly off factory at that that time. That's that that's pretty cool. I'm always amazed actually how big school sport is in is in South Africa. It's far bigger than over here, and also university sport. Yeah, I think there's there's a, the school sports. It's big, you know, because I think the rivalries are, are built up you know, by the supporters and by the schools. And I think it, it creates a really good environment for like a competitive environment amongst the schoolboys. Um, and then the universities have started a month. Like I was, I was lucky enough to be involved in from the beginning, but they started, you know, the NFL has like a Friday night light kind of competition. Yeah. They started one that was a university, the top eight universities, uh, rugby universities in South Africa. And they made it on a Monday night. So it was the, like the Monday night light kind of equivalent of NFL. Hmm. Um, and that's ended up being quite a good stepping stone for quite a few people that haven't necessarily made it to the professional uh, teams or have been studying and, and quite fancied a go at rugby. And, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's a good success story for a few people. Yeah, I quite like the South African system, how they kind of, how you can step up in the, in the pathway, because there's a definite gap between like university rugby and then Curry Cup and then Curry Cup up and uh, up to super rugby. Yeah, and then even within Curry Cup, there's there's competitions that run that allow, that that bridge the gap between the, like so there's university rugby and club rugby, which are pretty much the same. So there's mm-hmm. the, the university competition, and then there's a club rugby system which takes over from the when the university competition stops. And so you have club rugby level, which you don't have, obviously you don't have to be a student; you can be any age playing. 
then the next level up is what used to be Vodacom Cup, which I think they may have stopped now. Yeah, I, um, I know the competition you mean. And, yeah, and then there was now there's Curry Cup, but I think the Curry Cup split into two divisions, and I'm not quite sure how it works now. But yeah, there's there's like three different three or so stepping stones that you can play your rugby at before you get to like Super 15 level. Mm. Um, so when was it apparent to you growing up that rugby is something which you're going to be? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Very successful at, and this is how, how you're going to make your living. Um... It's a tough question because the way I kind of approach things is I just enjoy it for what they are, if that makes sense. Um, and, you know, I enjoy, I really enjoyed rugby. Um, and I, in fact, was, I got to the stage where I got my degree, I'd done my studying, and I'd pretty much given myself the, the like the last year to make it in rugby before I started to work wow. um, and get a new job and, you know, just play rugby for fun. And I got a, got my break when I was what twenty three or so. So I, it'd be hard to pinpoint a moment where I said this is this is what I want to do. But you know, I think I've always managed to keep my rugby at a level where I really enjoyed it, um, and it was never really something that I put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed in. And I think that's probably worked for me. Yeah, because I, I was looking through the dates of when you played for different teams, and it did seem like you kind of got into various teams fairly late on. Because you see, lads, now like. Uh, like Sam Simmons, who's coming into the first team at 19. I mean, you've sort of, you, you seem to have got, you know, as I said then, got your break at 20, 23. Yeah, no, it's unreal how young the guys are these days. But, you know, if, I mean, there's a lot of academy structures that are in place that probably weren't available to us a few years ago. But I always had, lucky enough, a strong influence from my mom. And she was, she was not pushy, but she would she'd always say, make sure you get your, your academics in line so you do like it'd be good to have a degree under your belt before you try and and go for kind of your sports thing so that was kind of out of school I was always focused on you know I had a few opportunities to go to like rugby academies and all that but I chose to go and get a degree at the top university and play rugby alongside that yeah um and then once I finished my degree I kind of gave myself a year or two to focus in on rugby and so it it ended up working out but that's why I was pretty much a late late starter with my in my professional career um was because i put my study my studies first do you know i see uh, all these players coming through like now like you know marcus smith and some Simmons, and i say those guys they are a rarity because they're because they're so talented yeah. but i do kind of think they're missing out a little bit on playing a little bit of amateur club rugby or university rugby before they go, go to the next level uh you know this is there's contrasting views. I, I'd agree with you. As in, you could, I could never replace the memories that I made the, 
I mean, the, the people that I've come across with my amateur rugby, my university, the, the influences that I've had in my career, you know, I think those are things I would encourage probably my son to do. But then again, if, I mean, if you ask Sam and Marcus if they have anywhere, they probably wouldn't because, you know, they're, they're cracking it quite early in the scene and they, if they can keep playing at the level they are and, and keep building themselves, you know, they're going to have a 10 to 15 year rugby career that's, that's actually going to really be beneficial to them when they stop. Oh, I completely agree. I, I mean, it's a short, it's a short career anyway. So the longer you can be a pro, the better. I mean, I would just, yeah, exactly. I would just say like, it, it does, it does upset me, but you know, I feel a little bit sad, I guess, when I speak to people who've left the game and it actually turns out they didn't really enjoy it that much anyway. And it's probably because they've been a pro since the age of 20 and they all, they've almost fallen out of love with it because it's no longer something you do for you know, a hobby. It is a job. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I imagine there are people like that, but I don't think anyone playing rugby at the moment that be making a living out of it would, would admit to that because, you know, it's it's an e- it's not an easy way to make a living. Obviously, you have to work really hard, but, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's better money in professional sports than if you went onto the job market at 20 and try to earn a living. Yeah, 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 you're absolutely right there. Um, now, in that year that you had, when you're trying to make your mind up, do I give this another, you know, another year's go, or you know, or do I go to work? What would you've done if you hadn't have made it? Um, good question. I mean, obviously, you obviously make network uh, connections through rugby, so you know, I, I'd hopefully have, have been able to to utilize those connections. I, I mean, I had a degree. I didn't have a specific job like career that I had in in mind, so. You know, I was very open-minded. That's why I think I didn't have any pressure on myself to kind of make it right then or there or I'll go into, like, say, being a psychologist or whatever. But, you know, that, yeah, I I didn't really have have put too much thought into it because I suppose I always believed that I would make it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although um, I quite like the idea of Don Orman psychologist. <laughs> yeah, that's what I got my degree in. Um, Is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think I'd have to study a few more years if I wanted to do it as a, I'd be a psychologist by profession. Have you thought about what you're going to do post career, or is that is that a little bit like tempting fate? Um, I'd say it's, it is a bit tempting, like tempting fate. But you know, there's there's one or two things I work on, and then there's some really lovely people that you meet through rugby that um, can recognise who you are and like probably give you some opportunities that you. You, you wouldn't necessarily have made if you weren't playing rugby. Um, and, you know, those are the kind of relationships you work on and, and you know, hopefully something comes of it. Uh, now, this is a sort of tenuous link, I guess, but do, do, you, ever, do you ever look back at your psychologist um, degree and try and kind of figure out what sports psychologists are, um, are talking about or what they're trying to get out of a team? Oh, all the time. Um, I think the problem, not the problem with it, but I think there's just there's no set structure to what a sports psychologist does. So it's a very open market. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, each sports psychologist would approach it in a different way. And I think that's probably what makes the, what you can tell between a good sports psychologist and not is because the, the ones that are good are still in it and you know about them and the ones that aren't, are, aren't doing it anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I do find it very fascinating because I think there's a huge part of the mental side of rugby that probably isn't, is it untapped markets, if that makes sense, because, but because there's no set structure, as if you tell a player this, he will be like this. It's each individual is different, and that's that's the fascination about the mental side of things. Just just tell me a bit more about that then. Um, 
Oh, just if you put it simply, if you put it down to motivation, if you have a team of 15 people, you know, it's it's never going to be one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I find the mental side of it comes in. And, and I think that a good coach that gets a successful team environment is a coach that is able to understand most of people's personalities and knows how to treat them and knows how to intermingle them. And I think this really shows that comes to light in a place where you get an extremely talented player that fails in a team and everyone's like, well, how are they failing? And, you know, it's because they're not even thinking about the mental side of what that player may be going through or how he approaches the game. Um, whereas they just look at, you know, physical stats and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, that's why I find, I find it really fascinating is because, you know, we don't know what, what, how to deal with the mental side of things. It's all, you know, if you try one thing and it works, you stick to it. So when you say it's like there's lack, there's a lack of structure in sports psychology, do, do you mean that they're using like a one-size-fits-all approach to everyone or it's based you know, on more of a macro team level rather than a micro individual level? No, I'd say that's that's not me saying I've seen what they do and I don't think there's much structure. Yeah. That's my opinion and how I would approach it if I was a sports psychologist because if, if you look, if you're going to – Say clinical psychology or developmental psychology or something like that. As a and you choose that as a profession, mm-hmm. there's a degree you can study. There's things you have to know to be able to do it. I see. Whereas a sports psychology, you kind of just you have to just be able to understand people. But you you could get a guy that's never played sports that's a good sports psychologist with you. Um, with you. Um, and that's where I, where I mean it's really unstructured because you know it, more, it relies on an individual and and the mental side of things that you have to you know, find what works for the individual rather than knowing that if you go in with, you know, these three things, they will work for every person you talk to, which which it's not like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that makes a lot of sense. So what motivates you then? Uh, I'd probably, I'd probably say I'm, well, there's, a, there's a lot of things that motivate me in different ways and the things that keep me going mostly are my family. Um, I'm a big family man, so I've obviously got two kids and my wife and my mom's staying with me at the moment. And, you know, that's one thing that'll keep the same every day. You know, you wake up and your kids, well, your kids wake you up, not you wake up. <laughs> yes. um, Tell me about it. And instead of me going, oh, geez, I'm exhausted about it. Like these kids are just, well, mm-hmm. not getting along with me. It's just, you, you can wake up and I enjoy the fact that my kids are waking me up kind of thing. And, you know, if you, if you're going through a bit of a dip, you can just spend time with, I can just spend time with my kids and they'll pick me up immediately kind of thing. So, you know, that's kind of a big motivator for me. Excellent. Uh, any chance that we're going to see a young Garmond taking to a rugby pitch? Um, lots of people ask me this. Uh, I'd like to think that um, I'm giving him the freedom of choice to do what he likes. Um, but in the same time, if, you know, he loves watching our rug- my rugby now. So, you know, if I do a good enough job, I'm, you know, I wouldn't hold him back from playing rugby if you put it that way. Yeah, well, uh, he's got the right genes for it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, thanks, mate. Um, now, when you were in South Africa, be honest now, when someone said to you, hey, Exeter Chiefs want you to come over, what did you know about Exeter? Um, to be honest, I, I didn't really watch much rugby at all. So, Really? I'd probably, even English rugby, I, well, I don't watch rugby that much in terms of, I'd probably seen... Leicester and Wasps play for in a final for about five minutes, and that was about as much <laughs> really as I'd watched English rugby. Because you know, I mean, I'd only been in the professional kind of sports scene or rugby scene for like one and a half years. Yeah. 
Um, so my focus was purely on I'd been we I used to watch Super 15 all the time, um, mm. but it was never there wasn't much English rugby played on the TV where I stayed. I stayed in residence at university with a whole lot of other guys. Yeah. I mean, it was always about Super 15 or the Springboks playing like international games. So when, you know, an ex had just come up, I think they'd been in Prem for one of oh, a few years, but, you know, I didn't know much about them, but there were people that I spoke to that did know mm. about them and, and couldn't speak highly enough of it. So, and, you know, they'd more than lived up to that. So a lot is made of the Exeter recruitment process, and rightly so. I mean, just look, you know, look at what you guys have done. Uh, what was your initial conversation with Rob Baxter like? Um, it was over the phone because I couldn't come all the way to South Africa uh, to England to speak to him. Um, but you know, he basically just—it was. I think he'd done a lot of his own research at the time, so there wasn't much that he would have asked me. He—he he was pretty much just interested in what I was about, and he was asking me questions about what I would—I would like. If, when I came to Exeter. So, you know, he was very open to, you know, just making sure that I suppose our views were were aligned, that I didn't have these completely different ideas in my head of what I would expect when I got to Exeter kind of thing. And uh, I guess and, I guess I answered in the right way. And, and I guess, well, what did you expect from Exeter? Um, to be honest, I, I didn't have, it wasn't about what I expected from Exeter. It was more about, I've always been about what I can do for a team. So, I just wanted to make sure that I I was coming to an environment where I was I was had coaches that were honest with me and and would help me with my game, which you know everyone said they would be, and you know they have been. So you know it was more about what I could be doing for the team if I came over and not wasting their time. Um, that's just how I operate. So excellent. Now uh, I'm going to get a little bit geeky about rugby now. Um, now you play all across the back row. Uh, I've, I've seen you in well eight, six, seven. Uh, noticeably at seven. Now you're a big fella, and there's a lot said about what a seven should be and how and how they play. So, how how do you use your 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 attributes to play that to, to play that position? Um, I suppose it's more if you think about any team, it's just about what the coach wants. So certain coaches will want a smaller, more nuggety type seven. Whereas I think at Exeter we're lucky enough that you know. I suppose depending on the the team we're playing, we can change what kind of composition and loose forwards we have. Mm. Um, I've basically just stuck to what I'm good at and and stuck to my role in the team. And whether I'm playing at six or seven, it doesn't really change, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, that's that's kind of the formula I stick to because at the end of the day, I'm getting chosen to play in the team because of what I do. And that's what the coaches are happy with. They don't expect me to change my role if I'm at six or seven. Yeah, well, well, I know what you're good at. Well, I think I know what what you're good at. But I always like 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 to ask players what they think that they're good at. So, what do you think that you're good at? <laughs> um, it's hard to say. It depends on the game, I suppose. But I'd say my primary. I mean, if you look at most of the 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 trios that I play, or the other guys that I play with, it's just that my primary role would be in the lineup because you know that's what I'd I'd be I'd be good at and um. You know, if I wasn't able to form in the lineups, then do, someone else could do that job. Do you know, probably, probably like one of the biggest compliments that I can give you is I don't actually think of you as a lineup forward because you do so, <laughs> so many other things. I, I think that comes more down to how we're coached, you know, because I think if you look at 1 to 15, we, we're all expected to be able to carry the ball and be skillful enough with it. Um, 
and all work hard and play your part in it. So I think it is a compliment, but I mean, I don't think I mean that's any different to any of the other guys that play in the team. Yeah, well, I mean, there is something very special about Exeter, which no matter what, um, no matter what combination of players that that they pick, you all seem to know your role and you all know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's that's probably compliment to the coaches, and that's when guys probably give their best is when they when they're doing what they what they know they can do, I suppose. Excellent. Right. Well, you've been more than um, generous with the time, Dom. So I'm going to let you get off and in, and enjoy the rest of your night. But before you do, give me a prediction of where you think Exeter are going to finish, both in the Premiership and in the European Cup. Wow. <laughs> Just putting it out there. Well, I mean, I'm going to write it on my whiteboard, go- take a picture of it and tweet it as well. Don Allman's predictions. <laughs> as in finish, so I mean, you want a specific position on Prem, as in yeah, not yeah. one or top four. No, no, go, I mean, I'd obviously go for it. Put, put, I'd obviously like to say we're going to finish at the top of the log um, in Prem, um, and then with European Cup, it's so it's so hard. So I'd like to we obviously aiming to get to do as well as we can. So I'd also say we'd like to be in the final, but I'm not sure where on the log we'd have to be to get there. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, well, I think you're going to get to the the knockouts of, of of Europe and you're going to be extremely yeah. extremely dangerous once you're there and I'm pretty confident that you'll that you'll finish top top of the pile in 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 the premiership whether you'll be champions or not I don't know and if we did know we wouldn't play the game exactly that's why we love rugby yeah. exactly don where can we find you on uh twitter or instagram or any of those social media uh um outlets um they're all pretty much the same so don underscore armand on twitter um, and I've actually just started up a Facebook page, which I'll be getting out to anyone that I've, I've linked them all. So I think you'd be able to pick them all up. Um, Instagram's the same. It's I think it's also Don Don Armand. Um, yeah, Don underscore Armand on Instagram. Um, and then they, they'll be linked to my Facebook page, which I've just, just made up now. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. Excellent. Well, Don, you've been a fantastic guest. Be- best of luck with the future. And if it was down to me, you'd already be in the England squad. Thanks very much. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on the show too. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.